Welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. In fact, our one-year anniversary. This is our 25th show. I'm very excited that we've made it a year. It's actually about 24 shows more than I expected when we started this. And so, as always, I am Jerry Parmentier, and here is Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. And I have to say, actually, not only is this our, our one-year anniversary podcast, we have all been on every episode. Ne- none of us have missed an episode. Uh, I mean, the fact that we do it every two weeks makes it easier to schedule, but uh, it's still pretty impressive. I listen to plenty of podcasts where it seems three episodes in, they lose a member for here and there, and, uh, and we've been pretty consistent. So, uh, pat on the back to us for being consistent and have nothing else to do. Well, there are certainly shows that I would not want to be here for, the, the Bayou Billy episode comes to mind, but... <laughs> Yeah, we have stuck it out. All all three of us have been here uh, through disease and and various uh, holidays and everything. So good on us. And you know what? It wasn't always easy. No. Uh, usually, uh, when if I heard that a uh, childhood favorite of Jeremy Pease was up next, I started to get a, <laughs> a scratchy throat, uh, runny nose, and I thought maybe this is a good one to lay out. But you know what? <laughs> I stuck it through, and I'm 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 glad I did. Right, and you picked it's made us, bad games. It's made us stronger. I, I think. <laughs> I still think I've only really picked two that were that bad, but that's okay, because you can go back and listen to the previous 24 to see exactly how many I picked that were bad. Spoilers, it's all of them. So, <laughs> um, But it's not intentional. I don't, I don't try to pick bad games on purpose. But before we even bother talking about that, or this week's game, our 25th game, Billy, what have you been playing since last time? I'm going to just assume you're going to tell me Dark Souls 3, and I'm going to turn the microphone off. I am. I'm playing it. I'm playing a lot of it. Um Doing all right, I guess. I, I think I'm about three-fourths of the way through. Uh, I've, I've put about 50 hours into it. Uh, in typical Dark Souls fashion, I have seen the uh, You've Died screen more than I have anything else. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm plugging along. And I, I found out that uh, I, didn't, I made the mistake I usually did uh, do on these games. I get more than halfway through the game before I find out I have made a uh, pretty worthless build as far as my character goes, uh, with uh, no real strengths to uh, to speak of. Uh, and then I just spend the rest of the game just trying to play through because it's beyond the point of starting over again. So I've been playing that a lot. I don't want to I don't want to quite admit how much because I some people here might be sensitive to the subject. But yeah, I mean, it, it's good. And I really I haven't gotten time to play much of anything else i did spend a couple hours uh with the uh, the twilight princess the you know that hd uh remake over on the wii u i figure it's my uh, only zelda game i'm going to be playing in the next you know, four or five years so i might as well <laughs> dig in and, and give that one a go but that's about it for me now, now did you play that before on the original version twilight princess yeah, yeah. Twilight Princess. yeah i played it uh played it through and highly enjoyed it and I was uh, I was more excited about this than the the Wind Waker remake, uh, which I wasn't excited about because I didn't want to do the whole navigating, you know, changing the direction of the winds, which they fixed. Uh, it's much better. But this Twilight Princess, they've got it looking real sharp, uh, and it, it's definitely worth playing through again. My my only re- 
memories of Twilight Princess. I did finish it. It was the only the only game I bought on my Wii U at first, or my original Wii at first. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I remember the beginning took a while to get really into it. Like when you're oh, yeah. the starting you, village uh, and then you go through the first transformation, I guess, and and it took like six hours to feel like I was actually playing a Zelda game. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, because you're not even in the you know the green attire early on. You know, you're in the blue and. And it's just a very prolonged. It's it's basically a tutorial, but just a very prolonged one on how to do every single thing. Which you've if you've played a previous Zelda game, you already know how to do. So yeah, I mean, a pretty uh, overinflated tutorial. But once you get through that, pretty solid game. Do you have to use the the Wiimote and and nunchuck to do all the no, waggling, or did they cut that out? That they cut that. I don't know. Maybe the options there. I've been using the gamepad, the uh, you know the Wii U pad, all exclusively, which was one of the things I was excited about because they kind of went overboard with the motion controls on that one. Uh, but yeah, uh, excellent with the gamepad. Well, it's one I definitely want to pick up at some point. I also was not excited about Wind Waker, but I ended up getting it for for free with one of the old Club Nintendo promotions. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did play through it, and it was better than I remember. And Twilight Princess is one I do remember favorably, but I just remember that it was one that took a while for me to really get into. But once I was in, I was fully in. Oh, yeah. Uh, and since now, you know, you you know, as you brought up, the next Zelda won't show up until 2019. We have some time, uh, and I'll probably play it again. Well, I don't have Dark Souls 3, because still, unsurprisingly, throughout a year of episodes, I still don't have a PS4. Uh, although I do believe I will have some one fairly soon, uh, which means that the new PS4 will release the day afterwards, and there will be a major price cut. That's how things work for me. But I am going back now, and I'm playing Dark Souls 1 along with a podcast that goes through the Dark Souls games. Um, and it's, it's actually fun to play through it this way, because I've already played it before and beaten it. So now I'm going through and playing a high magic build, as opposed to before it was just stored and shield the whole way. Uh, with a few healing spells or, or support spells. Uh, but now I'm playing pretty, pretty much exclusively a, a glass cannon that's going to blow things up, but if you hit me once, I die. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm listening to this other podcast. Um, it's uh, Hold on one bon- second, uh, I'll edit this bonfire out. Bonfire Side Chat. Bonfire Side Chat, thank you very much. It's excellent. And I, I've, I'm, I'm listening to every episode as I play through it, and if I, I'm at an area that they have not hit yet, or if they're in an area I haven't hit yet, I stop listening, play through to get to, to those areas, and I'm going back through it. Uh, you know, we, we need to do that for Bayou Billy, maybe. Ooh, the Bayou Billy cast. That's going to be huge. Ah. People are going to be way into that. <laughs> it's just three How guys about crying. A, a bi- Bayou side chat. <laughs> just a fire of Bayou Billy cartridges. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, I've been doing that. And, uh, and again, I, I finally got a, a working copy of Persona 3. So I'm playing through that, which I'm enjoying. It's not as good as 4, but I, I do like it. I see where a lot of the ideas that where I liked a lot in 4 came from, I guess, and were refined. Uh, but it's very good. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, but I spent a lot of time on this week's game uh, because it's a longer game for us. Uh, but, Jeremy, what have you been playing since last time? I actually picked up Uncharted 4. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think you guys are, are – you know the Uncharted series. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a pretty big fan of it myself. I actually beat the Uncharted collection uh, that, that came out with a lot of PlayStation 4s not too long ago. Uh, played through all three of those, uh, just remembered how much I loved those games, and of course bought Uncharted 4, pre-ordered it, and, and was looking looking forward to it. And that game does not disappoint. That is one of the best. It, it, I, I think it is already, I, I think about like three-fourths of the way through, it is my favorite Uncharted game ever. Oh, better than uh, two. Oh my god, it is, it's really, really good. Um so many things about that game uh, 
uh, that just that have been improved over the originals. Um, one of the biggest things that things that really surprised me just how how great it is is the new stealth mechanic, and it's it's not anything you actually have to do. There is I, I don't think there's really any sort of uh, you know where you have to use stealth in any of these levels, but it gives you that option. And it works so much better than any of the, the previous Uncharted games. Before, it was just kind of like you sneak up on a guy, snap his neck, and, and hope nobody else sees you. This one actually kind of introduces some uh, stealth mechanics to where you, the other, you can see when other people notice you. Uh, you can see, you know, it'll turn yellow when they, they see you and they'll kind of go hunting for you. And it'll turn orange or red whenever they actually do see you and will start attacking you. And... Usually that's not my cup of tea. I think I've mentioned several times in this podcast where I just don't like stealth sections. But this game does it so well that I actually find myself restarting checkpoints if I actually if somebody notices me. Because it's so much fun to just kind of sneak around these different areas and, and uh, actions settings and, and really kind of act like a thief. You know, Nate, to me, has always just kind of been this murderous guy on a rampage just killing people constantly and in this game he actually you know it actually lets you play like a stealthy thief you know what he's supposed to be and i really appreciate that and it really um it it makes a lot of those sections a lot more fun especially the ones uh kind of halfway through the game where it even opens up and becomes almost most this open world kind of game where you're you're in a jeep you can go around to these different spots, you know, and, and, and check things out and really, uh, you know, attack something like you would if you were, you know, kind of like in Far Cry, if you played Far Cry before, like Far Cry uh, 3 or 4 or whatever. Uh, you can scout these places out, go and take people out completely unnoticed. And it's so much fun um, that, that it has won me over as so far my favorite Uncharted game. I still got, I think, about maybe a fourth of the game to go. But so far, this is the Uncharted game to play. If you've not played it right. uh, and you like Uncharted, this is it. This is the game you have to play. We're going to uh, make a, a stealth man out of you yet. Oh, God, I wish every game was this much fun in stealth. It is, it's forgiving, but it's still, uh, you know, it's, it's suspenseful. It makes you be careful with what you're doing, but it's just forgiving enough that you can really run around these stages and, and have a lot of fun being a, a silent piece of shit and just running around snapping people's necks, uh, jumping on top of them, you know, before anybody notices you and then hiding in the, the tall grass. So that's really what I've been playing. I, I can't recommend it enough. If you're on a, an Uncharted fan, you got to play it. It's it's really great. Well, this week's game has no stealth in it whatsoever, and that's all right because we visit the N64 classic Banjo-Kazooie. Uh-huh. 
Now, you uh, you use the term classic pretty much every episode. Yes, they're all classics because this is a classic retro gaming podcast. So well, by they're, definition, they're, they're retro games, they're old games, but they're not usually classics. But I, I think no matter what's said about this game, it cannot be denied. This is certainly certainly a classic title, perhaps more deserving of it than anything we have played yet, barring perhaps Mansion of Hidden Souls. But <laughs> <laughs> this is one that, that uh, Jeremy Gregory has, has lobbied hard for. He uh, kind of earmarked this one as being you know what should be our our anniversary episode and i can see why it's a, it's a long it's the longest game we've played yet uh the most in depth uh certainly the most finished looking game we've played yet and i mean and it's a, i mean a real classic with a an actual uh, fan base and there's not just three or four people when we mention the name of it saying i think i recall that one yeah, this was uh, this was definitely one of my picks, especially after I played it again on the the rare replay for Xbox One, mm-hmm. and um, playing that really just it, it reminded me just how fun this game was. And back when it first came out, you know, this was kind of a big tentpole release for the Nintendo sixty four because back then there wasn't really that many big tentpole releases for the Nintendo sixty four that weren't Nintendo games. So a lot of the magazines were really hyping up Banjo-Kazooie because this was going to be the second coming of Mario 64. And you look at the screens and this game looked amazing. I mean, it has it's a very, very detailed looking world to it. Um, the characters look great. It, it has a it's definitely not the simple looking game that Mario 64 was. Great lighting, great stages, huge stages. And everyone was just super excited about it. And I got this game day one, and I was not disappointed. So I was really hoping to see just how well this game holds up over time and just to see what you guys would think of it, because you are, I think you are the only two people left on Earth that never played Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, I didn't know that Billy had not played Banjo-Kazooie. I thought I was the only person who had not played Banjo-Kazooie, which made no sense since I worked in a video game retail store at the time <laughs> that this came out, and it was huge, and... You know, you just brought up that it was really pushed as the next big title on Nintendo. It was, you know, not a Nintendo release. Um, but it did look from screenshots like, okay, someone took Mario 64 and they put a bear in it. I'm good. I've already played that game. And at this point in time, you know, we had talked about before in, in the switch to the 32-bit, 64-bit era of PlayStation, uh, Saturn, and and the N64, that, that the PlayStation really was the much more successful of the three systems, and it was pushing older games. So the same time this would have come out, I think you'd also see Metal Gear Solid or um, you know any of the other games on, on the PlayStation that would have been more what I would have been interested at that time. I would have seen a game that looks like Mario 64 with a, with a cartoon bear. I'm not interested. I'm no longer, Even though everyone says how great it is, I'm like, yeah, but I've played a million games like that. I'm going to play this other game that have, you know, coincidentally have a lot of stealth in it uh, that I really wanted to play. Uh, so I never played this because it looked to me at the time like another Mario 64. And I think, as I said in one of our, our previous episodes, embarrassingly, uh, my, my truth is I don't really like Mario 64. I think it's fine, but I don't enjoy it. I don't think it's as polished as a 2D Mario. So I've never finished Mario 64. I've never been that interested in a game like that uh, in the Mario style until they really refined 3D to where it is now. Um, you know, the early 3D stuff I was not a fan of. So I had never played this before at all. So I'm surprised that Billy also has not played it before. I had I had played just a little bit. I had a friend who, who had this one. And, you know, I went over one night and, and, you know, I played it just for a few minutes. 
uh, not really too in depth. And and yeah, it just struck me as you know this is very much Mario sixty four like. I've got Mario sixty four at home. Uh, yeah, this seems decent enough, but I, I don't really see any point in running out to to buy this one. And aside from that, maybe you know half hour I kind of messed around on there uh, at my friend's house years ago. I hadn't picked it up until uh, I picked up the uh, the rare replay and kind of got started on that. Well, you're both insane because Mario um, Super Mario 64 is one of my favorite games ever, and mm-hmm. all I wanted was a, a another really good Mario 64 game because you know af- after Mario 64 came out, you had a lot of. Uh, kind of really shitty Mario 64 clones that came out and nothing really ever even came close to how good Mario 64 was and seeing this game and, and the fact that it was rare, you know, we, we all had Donkey Kong country and all that stuff before us. So you, you knew it was at least going to be competent. And so I was, that was the big reason why I was really looking forward to this because I was like, if they could just make a really decent, Mario 64 clone, I would be super excited. And uh, they did. And I think they went above and beyond, even to its detriment sometimes. Uh, they they made a great Mario 64 clone with a lot more added to it. Yeah, I'd say it, it well surpasses being a clone. So in order to, to explain the difference, really, so Mario 64 is a fully 3D platformer, but it's Mario. So you can run and you can jump. And instead of being on a, on a 2D platform like the classic Mario's we've all seen before, this one was fully 3D. You could you were behind Mario most of the time. It made, in my opinion, a lot of the, the camera in Mario 64 and some of the jumps, because you had to actually also pick a direction as opposed to just making sure you jump far enough, made it very difficult. I didn't think the depth um, made was as clearly labeled, or not labeled, but as clearly defined as it should have been in Mario 64. Um, you know, this game had much better textures on everything, so I think that helped a lot. The camera was was a little bit better, but I think mm-hmm. more importantly, it wasn't just go through a level and and you know get to the end. And, and Mario sixty four had level objectives as well, but this one really took having other things to do in the level other than just get from the start to the end of the level. It, you know, was was a huge part of this game. I think that was why this game made it when we were playing it through this time for me much more interesting. Uh, that you know every level had aside from just you know collect all the doobies and get to the end of the level uh, in order to collect the doobies you had almost like side quests in every level optional for the most part optional uh, tasks you could take that may not have made any sense as far as a, a 3d platformer goes to, to you know one of the ones in one of the levels is to play a kind of like Simon with turtles uh, if you don't know what Simon is I'm sorry but it's a it's a copying game uh, which you play with colored turtles and it, and that's the kind of stuff I really enjoy in in games like this. So I was I was actually very impressed with this game because it does so much more than just be a 3D platformer. Yeah, and I I will say my my biggest praise for this is just the overall look of it. And it it's a fun game and no matter what complaints I might have as we go along, uh the the fun factor from it I think some things it, it takes a hit, but it never goes away. And yeah, I I like the uh you know, Mario 64 uh you usually had your your one star at the end. Uh, if you re- made it kind of to where the end of that level sort of was, and after that they give you a hint about what in, what needed to be done next to get the next one. Yeah, I liked how they just kind of dropped you in these you know these big levels, these big expansive levels, and they vary greatly 
and and so many of them are are so much fun so nice looking uh from treasure cove which is kind of a a beach to a you got a, a haunted type mansion thrown in there uh it, just so much different stuff to look at and you just kind of discover uh, as you go along uh and it's just it's random things it's things that you don't think would would yield anything all of a sudden do and it's 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 just a lot of fun to kind of explore and you're not really pressured to reach any goal in any amount of time however i will say this i prefer that mario 64 camera i had immense trouble with the camera in this one well i mean before we get into shitting on that camera because that's what we're gonna do (laughs) I will say one of the things about Super Mario 64 that I enjoyed far more in Banjo-Kazooie is, I mean, I I think everyone knows that Mario 64 is a masterful game. It's one of the greatest games ever made, despite what Jeremy P. thinks. It is, uh, you know, it defined a genre for for what uh, a 3D platformer is. And, I mean, what Billy was talking about, it, it rings so true for this game because it is... For, for as much of a clone as it is of Super Mario 64, it has its own identity just because of how open it is. Now, in the first world that you go to in, in Super Mario 64, which is, I, I forget its name, but, you know, it's a very, uh, it's got that big mountain you climb. The first star you have to get in that game is basically traversing that world, going all the way up that mountain, and then fighting a boss. And in that time, you have seen basically everything that level has to offer. And after that star, it breaks it down into just kind of going into different parts of that world and, and you know, finding the, the subsequent stars that you need to find. Banjo-Kazooie is not like that at all. I mean, it just drops you into these large worlds with just the tiniest bit of a hint as to what you need to do to get these jiggy. Some of them are just, uh, you know, they're hidden randomly in the level that you can just jump to. Other ones you have to do very specific things to make them appear and it is incredibly obtuse sometimes as to what it wants you to do uh sometimes to a a very big fault and again it's one of the biggest problems in the game is just some of the random shit you have to do to find these different jiggies but overall i i think it was very it it felt like it was a you had much more freedom in banjo kazooie and exploration and what you did just because of how it dropped you in these levels and how open they were. And that was my, one of my favorite things about this game. And it still is. seem to have gotten ahead of ourselves again, uh, assuming that people at least have some idea of what the game is, and we really haven't explained it very well. So Banjo-Kazooie 
is, again, a 3D platformer. You are Banjo, a bear, and your friend Kazooie is a bird that rides around in your backpack and will later on uh, allow you to do some extra things you couldn't do if you were just a giant cartoon bear. Uh, And you're going around collecting jiggies, which look like golden puzzle pieces, in order to eventually uh, get to the top of a witch's castle named Gruntilda who has stolen your sister uh, in order to steal her youth and beauty to become a much younger, more beautiful witch. Uh, And that's the story. It's not very exciting. Um, But it doesn't need to be. Again, these kind of games, do you need a story? I'm going to rescue the princess. I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save my sister. It doesn't matter. The point is this is a major collect-a-thon. The whole point of this game is to collect as many jiggies, these golden puzzle pieces as you can, along with several other uh, collectibles throughout the levels. And much like Mario 64, there is a, a hub world, essentially. You're in Gruntilda's lair, which is, you know, you start out, uh, it's actually right above where you live uh, as the bear. Uh, you climb up on the mountain, there's a witch's face, you climb into the witch's face, and there you are in your hub world. This will lead you to all the other worlds in the game. Uh, much like Mario 64, where you had to have so many stars to open each door. Uh, in this game, the collectible to open doors is notes, musical notes. There are, in each of the Uh, There's nine worlds outside of the hub world, and each world has ten of the jiggy puzzle pieces and 100 notes to find. And, you know, in this this kind of game, and I don't know if you guys do the same thing I do, but I assume you do, um, if if I know there's a specific number of collectibles, it's almost a given. Even before they had achievements and stuff that's in every game now, I was going to get every one of those things. Oh, yeah, that's... uh, I have that just such a great fault it's caused me so much grief over the years in video games anytime i know there's something to be collected i i compulsively have to and it almost ends the same way i'm right down to it i'm missing a few either you know it was back before i could just look online to see where they are or it's just something that i have deemed almost impossible to pull off and just out of of pure anger i quit and i never pick it up again so yeah i mean i'd love I love collecting things in games, but it, yeah, it just, uh, oh, it gets me awful anxious. I mean, I'm, I'm like that to a point. Like I really want to collect all of the stuff that's in a level. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, you know, I, at some point I just get to the, the point in the level where if I'm really having trouble getting something and I know I can move on, I'll just move on and maybe later I'll come back to it or something. But it's it's always fun to collect this stuff up to the point where it's not fun to collect this stuff. And for Banjo-Kazooie, I think the first uh, three or four levels are really fun to collect that stuff. And then after that, I just really stopped caring. It, it doesn't get to my, uh, it, you know, that weird ADD point where I, I feel like I have to collect everything to move on. So it, it really doesn't quite bother me, I think, as bad as you guys do. But I, I still really like to collect all that stuff. I definitely do. I think there's definitely a point where I will say this is too much to do, too much to collect, too much to see everything, uh, and I will either decide it's not worth my time and move on from not the game but the process of collecting everything. Uh, Or sometimes, like you said, I'll go forward and then come back later and finish it. In this case, I think it's because the numbers are are obtainable. They don't seem offensively large. To know that there's ten, essentially ten quests in every world, um, and then a hundred of these little notes that are, some of them are very obvious. They're all over the, the ground in front of you when you walk into the level. And some of them are way high up on ledges. You can only see if you're, you know, a certain, uh, in a certain mode, you know. Um, 
It's definitely a lot of things to collect, but it's not offensive. So I never at any point thought, I'm not going to collect all these things. Instead, I would get down to, in some levels, okay, I've got 98 of these musical notes. The last two I don't have, but I know I'm missing something. Um, and, and and there's several places, and, and we'll get into this later when we go through the levels real quick, but there were a few things I don't know how I ever would have figured out on my own. Um, you know, Since we are playing this for the purpose of a podcast, I would go through the levels and, and do everything I could find. And, and for you know all these nine worlds, I'd say seven out of nine, it was I got through them 100% with no extra help. And then there were at least two, two examples where I thought, how would I have ever figured this out on my own? How would I have done this before the Internet? How would I have known in any way what to do? Uh, and we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the levels and the other moves you get. But the other part I liked um, with the way this game was laid out was as you go through the worlds, which are, you know, because you have to have so many musical notes to open the doors to get to the next world, it really did control what order you went through these nine worlds. Um, but it would unlock moves for you uh, that would make sense in each level or that was kind of like the level was also a tutorial for that new move that you would be assumed you're going to use through the rest of the game. But it wasn't, um, I don't think it made it so that there were it wasn't like they show you this move and then you realize when you play it through the second time you could have done this the whole time. You can't. You can't do that move till you learn it. Right. Uh, which I do like because it made made me feel like you could get everything at every level before you, you know, before you moved on. You didn't have to assume you're going to go back to the first world at the very end when you've learned that last move. There's only really one area in the game where you have to do that. The rest of the time, you know, if you're in a world, you can earn everything in it. There's nothing that's going to hold you back from doing that other than your own time and interest. Yeah, and I think the the hub world actually uses those, uh, you know, being able to come back uh, from like when you first started and and get things from from back then with the new stuff you learn, uh, you know, that does that way more than the actual stages do. Mm-hmm. Well, and for a hub world, that's okay. Like that 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 I assume, and it's a fairly small world when you really look at the size of it compared to the uh, the specific game levels that would have the the ten puzzle pieces in it. So I, I didn't mind that. But, yeah, it was almost like it was Gates. It was like a Metroid-style, Metroidvania-style thing where, you know, you could you can see that ledge before, but you can't jump to it yet because you're missing this move that lets you jump higher. Um, and, you know, that, that, I seem is, that, that doesn't seem bad to me at all, especially when you use that for a, a hub world that takes you to these other areas. But I really don't like when you have to go back to an old map altogether that, you, you know, is out of the way and you've already done most of the world in just to get, like, two collectible pieces on top of a mountain. And there's not anything like that in the game except for that race. What did you guys think of that hub world? Like, what, I, what did uh, you really think of it? I thought that hub world was god awful. <laughs> I, I think uh, it took you know Mario sixty four, and I hate uh, this. May as well be the uh, the Banjo Kazooie slash Mario sixty four praise podcast episode, but uh, uh, that hub world Mario sixty four. You had a, a castle, and the castle maintained like a, a, a sense of being this huge you know castle a little outdoor area basement area but if i wanted to get somewhere and i was at the front of that castle i could get there pretty quick no matter where it is even if i have to go outside even if i have to go down in the basement area shit it takes you a little bit of time (laughs) if you want to go back or if you're at the front of the if you're at the front of the hub world and you want to advance forward it takes a while and and there's a lot of jumps sometimes there's these you know jumps you have to make there's an enemy or two around there uh it's just i don't mind it being big but it's too it's more of a straight line than it is scattered around everywhere and several times i just forgot where the hell to go and especially when you unlock an area you don't necessarily enter that area 
right. from from where you unlock it. And I, I I spent several minutes on on more than one occasion trying to find just where the entrance to this level was. I think it's a little hard to figure out the hub world. I I didn't hate it. I I didn't think it was too big, and I didn't mind the backtracking. I kind of liked that it. it was. Uh, once you knew how it was laid out, it made sense. But the first time I went through a lot of areas, I, I was just lost. I was confused on where to go next, um, especially when you get to the area that has um, the later hub worlds or the later other worlds. Uh, there's like a snow world and a, and a desert world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that area from there, there's like a ledge that goes up around the side of that cave. I never saw that damn thing. I found it by accident. And I don't know if that's just a fault of of the graphical abilities of the N64 at that time. But, I, I mean, I just did not see something that should have been very obvious uh, to go along. But there was just a lot of that, that hub world that was a little bit confusing. But once you learned how it was all laid out, I didn't mind that it was it was like that. Because, again, I thought of it more of, of a, a Metroid feel, where it was you can see everything from the get-go. You just might not be able to get there. Yeah, I mean, it's you, it definitely gets to that point where you will memorize it. But it has a problem of just being too crazy for its own good for just how for how labyrinthine that fucking hub world is it goes all over the place and it a lot of times it doesn't make sense and one of the biggest problems is exactly what billy said where you will open up a world and it'll show a little cutscene showing the room where you need to be in and it'll be like all right here's where you need to go this is where the level is yeah and take into account when you get this cutscene of where the level is more than likely, this is an area you haven't seen you yet. Haven't, you have never seen. So you're just like, what? Okay, where do I go? Where's this fucking thing at? I've never seen this. And then it's up to you to figure out where it is. And for me back then, I was fine with it because I really liked exploring this this weird, crazy hub world. But now, when I was playing it again, it really bothered me because it was just it was too too obtuse for its own good a lot of times with just how many unlockables were in there, how many weird warp zones were around, how many weird little hidden places there were. I never really felt like there was a, a, a guiding line to where you needed to go. And that, that really bothered me this time because it took me so long to finally just get the hang of where I needed to go in that hub world this time. And I, I wish there was just more of a direct line of, of, to go to the stages if you wanted to, and then maybe here's these other areas that you can explore and, and find some other stuff if you wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's plenty of ways they could have fixed it, but I mean, this it's, it's a little too late for that now. Uh, it's just, I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know if they're trying to just give you a, a, a place where you could try out some of the stuff you had, had just unlocked. I don't know if it's more of a hub world slash, training ground of sorts but it, it's just a bit much especially when you're trying like i was and you know you're more than halfway through and you're just trying to get through it at this point but uh, who else thought and maybe it's just me that, that some of the the facts that brentilda who who is the 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 good sister of the your main enemy of the game she gives you these random facts about her sister that come into play later on uh some of those for some reason, and it may be because it was late and I was intoxicated on many occasions while playing it. <laughs> some of these were just hilarious. Some of the, I, I recall one that uh, it's a fun fact that she washes her hair with baked beans. <laughs> and I was rendered useless for several <laughs> minutes. And, and the other one, I think the one that really got me was that she gets her clothes from the trash can. 
Yeah, her favorite place to sleep is a <laughs> is a fresh garbage bin or something like that. Yeah, it was it was all uh, you know as you go through the labyrinth uh, hub world, you'll find the her sister will will be hidden like around a corner or in, in off on the side, and you'll go up to her and talk, and she'll tell you up to three facts about her sister. But the facts are almost like the dumbest three year olds jokes would be, you know, like oh my favorite <laughs> food is fart sauce, and you're like well, that's the dumbest that's, thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but exactly yeah, I laughed at it every humor, time. Oh, I know it was it was it's funny in its dumbness. Like it was just okay, that's really dumb. Like her favorite color is dung brown. Like what? Who would ever <laughs> say dung brown? <laughs> you pick up and of course because it's a video game you know that they're telling you these things for a reason they can't just tell you them for for no reason so i'm sure we'll get to why that happens at some point if we haven't decided early that we're just done talking about this game but before we even get to why that's useful let's go over because the worlds are you know much like a lot of 3d and 2d platformers all the worlds are very unique uh, I don't think you're going to see two worlds that really look very similar. I like that they're all very different looking uh, and therefore have different mechanics in some levels. Uh, I mean, at least at least a twist on their mechanics. Not really truly different mechanics, but a twist on them. So the, the first world after the hub world you go to is Mumbo's Mountain. And that's a pretty standard, you know, 3D grassland with a mountain in the middle you know nothing nothing groundbreaking but it's a good introduction to the game a good introduction to show you how the levels are going to be set up that you have to find these little collectibles everywhere and these these guys that you may be running into may be monsters or maybe they're people that are supposed to help you or maybe they're both uh you know there's a lot of characters that talk uh and because it's an n64 game they don't really talk I mean, there's text at the bottom of the screen, but everything goes, <laughs> which is, is, you know, in, in 2016, kind of funny to see. It's not something, it was a very short-lived phenomenon, I think. You went from having no sound at all and just text boxes to people talking to you in a, in a pretty short window of time. But the N64, because it was not a CD system, had a lot of wop 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 wop. So it was it was good to see that. But it was also the, how many different people talked, and yet they all had very different voices. Yeah, I, I mean, it gave him a lot of character. It was kind of like the, uh, you know, the the Star Fox characters. You know, they all kind of had weird, like you know, weird jibber jibbery jabby kind of voices to them. But in Banjo Kazooie, everyone had like a different sound effect pitched at different levels. And the one I remember most is the um, the hippopotamus in the the, uh, the <laughs> beach. They, they just he's just burping constantly. Yes. And I I remember as a kid, I, I like Billy, I was rendered I, I could not fucking move just because of how much I was laughing at that dude just constantly burping over and over. And so many of the uh the the um characters in the game that you talk to, you know, they've all got their different sound effect that they use. Um I think it really gives a lot of character to these characters that otherwise really aren't that interesting at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, that. yeah, that's one of the only things these characters have going for them in some cases. But I'll tell you, there's a couple of instances where, you know, instead of the noise they make being uh, 
you know, being funny or anything like that. That I can't remember what I can't remember what the animal is. It's that crying ass over on the Treasure Cove stage who has uh, has lost his treasure, and <laughs> he just he just sobs and <laughs> sobs. Anytime you're within uh, just ran- any range of him, he's sobbing, and, and it just it never ends. And, and I'll encounter that a couple times where they were more grading than anything, and and I almost chose on purpose not to help him out. <laughs> I don't want that puzzle piece. I don't care enough to do whatever your silly-ass task is. Mm-hmm. Just so I hear you talk. But um, the other thing that uh, Mumbo's Mountain is good for, for showing you is the different pickups and what they do. Um, you know, it starts out along with the notes and the puzzle pieces that are the quest items. Uh, you'll pick up silver skulls uh, that rotate around. You use these silver skulls uh, and Mumbo's... Uh, let me try this again. Use those silver skulls to trade to Mumbo. Mumbo is a shaman who lives in several of the stages in the game. When you get to his shack, it looks like a big skull. You go inside, he'll have a number of skulls he'll, t- he'll take, and once you give him that number of skulls, he will give you a transformation that changes from you know what you are, which is just a, a bear with a bird on your back, to something else. And in that first level, uh, I don't remember what the thing was. Was it a spider? Spider, turns you yeah. Into, yeah. It turns you into a spider in the first level, and that allows you to climb around pretty easily uh, on areas that normally uh, your bear would slide down the wall. But also there's an area that is like an anthill uh, that's in the middle of the map, and if you're not the spider, you can't get to the higher parts of that mountain to get that puzzle piece. Again, it's not a requirement, but it's kind of a neat ability. I like that you change your form completely and get other abilities. I, I like that in a lot of games, and I think it was done pretty well in this game. Uh, that the levels that they gave you that because it's a self-contained level, it's not that you're supposed to take that transformation and wander out into the world. Uh, you know, so it was very contained. If you get that transformation, you know there's going to be areas you're going to use it immediately around you, and that's it. And I like that. I mean, it's it's really cool that they did that. Um, but I don't think the the things you change into ever really do much more than just change their appearance. Uh, the, like the ant that you can turn into in one of the stages does basically the same thing as the spider or whatever it is. Um, nothing ever really gives you any any significant different type of gameplay. It's just like, okay, here you change into this thing and you can go to this area now, but you're basically just jumping. You're never really uh, changing up the gameplay any. Uh, later on, in there, there's a swamp area where you get to turn into a small crocodile. And so I was like, well, that's cool. You know, that, what are we going to do with the, you know, you get to be a small crocodile. And nothing really changes. You're just a crocodile that moves around, a, you know, a little bit faster and you can do the the things that the game wants you to do as the small crocodile. It doesn't really change anything too much. I, I just kind of wish they would have done a little bit more with those transformations. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just, the transformation, I think I like the transformations. I think it was... It was uh it was it was well done in terms of you know you transform into the, like Jeremy P was saying you transform into this thing and you know uh, in the nearby vicinity you're going to need it uh, you're not they're not making you transform and then you have to cross the hub world to get somewhere else to use it uh, but but yeah uh, like Jeremy was saying it would be nice to see that kind of expand I think they've got a good base uh, but it would have been nice to see that expanded on uh, the things you transform into pretty much are. You could have just jumped into a vehicle and done the same. It changes the way uh, you move around the level. It, it, you know, it's like a different mode of transportation. Uh, yeah, it would have been nice to see maybe like some unique uh, attacks uh, in each form and, and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they had the, the start of something good, and I can't complain too much. Uh, uh, if anything, I'm saying that I enjoyed it and, and would, would like to have seen more of it. 
Well, the other collectible that you you learn about in Mumbo's Mountain level is the eggs. You'll find blue eggs all over the map, uh, and eggs serve two purposes. Uh, you can shoot them forward like a projectile, or something that I found to be <laughs> incredibly uh, useless is you will squat down, and the bird will basically shit eggs out of the back of you that bounce right. behind you. You might as well say they serve one purpose. Well, uh, they, they serve... Let, let's... I'll get to that in a second, but, but I want to say... Um, if there is a puzzle in the game that I couldn't figure out, the answer was shit and egg at it. And yeah. there was plenty of puzzles in the game where I, uh, or, or things that I couldn't figure out. That as a last-ditch effort after just getting frustrated, uh, I would shit an egg and it would work. And it would make me laugh every time because it would just be, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. But it's become the, you know, you know they, they were like, here, we programmed this cool move. And they're like, what the hell can we do with it? And they had one idea and they're like, well, we got to do something else with it. So they added these other things in that only shitting an egg will matter on. And it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And uh, there's an area in the hub world where there are a few webbed areas covered with spider webs. And, and you're supposed to clearly break them because there's things behind them or under them, and you're, you can see them, so you know you're supposed to break them. And I, I decided, you know, I'm going to break these spider webs. So I would jump up and down on them and slam down on them, which is a move you learn uh, maybe even in the first level where you, you slam down really hard on, on, from a jump and, and do damage to things. No, that didn't break the spider web. And then I had, you have a move where you can, like, charge forward. I hit that spider web with that. I did everything I could think of, and finally I was like, wait a minute. And so you shit an egg. And I literally, like, you, you bend over, and an egg kind of flops out of the backpack backwards and bounces along, and like, like if you just gently tossed an egg behind you. And yet somehow that destroys spider webs. It's it's every puzzle in the game I couldn't figure out the answer was shit an egg at it every time. That's good advice for life in general. It, it really <laughs> is. Well, the first of them, the first item that happened like that that I I actually had to look up online what to do was in the next world, which is Treasure Trove Cove, which was already mentioned. It's a it's a pirate beach area. Uh, it's got a pirate ship in the middle of the map. Um, it's where you learn how to swim, uh, which is arguably the least enjoyable part of the game is swimming. Oh, yeah. Um, but but you're not really... I mean, swimming in Treasure Trove Cove is more of a, a necessity to to escape things. It's not like they want you to swim a lot. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you need to swim if you miss some jumps. Uh, there's, there's a couple areas you need to swim to underwater, but generally it's more of a... It's supposed to kind of seem hard to swim, so don't fall in the water. Um, Treasure Trove Cove introduces the red feathers, which allow you to fly if you go to the right... Um, there's like a launch pad that if your character stands on and you have red feathers, you'll shoot up in the air and you can fly around, uh, which will make it easy to get to some other platforms you otherwise could not reach. Um, that's the one where there's, there's a section in one of the puzzles where there is a bucket. And oh, the bucket yeah. is on the side of this cliff, and you walk over to the bucket, and it says, oh, I'm a bucket, and I'm very sad because I have a hole. I need something to, I need, I'm looking for pebbles to plug up my hole. Now, this is a game that has collections for everything. <laughs> I could probably have worded that better, but that's how the game words it. I need pebbles to plug up my holes. Oh, you and, got uh, it. You got it. So I spent, I easily spent two hours scouring the map for pebbles. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I went underwater to all the areas of the level that you're not really supposed to, to get to because the downside in this level of, of trying to swim, aside from that you will run out of breath if you're underwater, is there is a shark that will chase you through half of the level if you're in the water. So you, I'm essentially letting myself die over and over and over again while I search for these pebbles. And then I went through every cave and every every single place in this level to find these damn pebbles, and I finally gave up. And I thought, okay, if I'm only on the second world, I hate to look up online what to do because this is a game designed for children, and I'm almost 40, and I can't figure out what to do with these pebbles. 
And my fear was it was going to be, oh, yeah, you go to the last world of the game and there's pebbles on the ground. You have to take them back. I hate that stuff. So I didn't want to do that. And thankfully, the answer is you shit an egg into the bucket. You shit an egg into the bucket and it all of a sudden is like, great, thanks. And then it drains a whole like a whole yeah. pond for you uh, to Can unlock the level. Let me tell you how I discovered that. I, I, I was in a similar. It didn't take me hours. I was in a similar situation. I proceeded. I mean, they say pebbles. So I, I proceeded to, to search around that, that stage looking, and I couldn't find anything. And I kept, you know, I, I would speak to that, that bucket every now and then to see if there's any di- any different dialogue at all. And, I, and I, I shit an egg on him out of an act of disrespect, out of <laughs> frustration. I was like, I don't know what you want. Have this. And it worked. And then it and, worked. And, and, and I was thrilled. And, and that happened to me later because I had already given up on, uh, I had already learned, okay, if you're not sure what to do, just try all your moves by that point. So there were other parts of the game uh, where I just was like, maybe this is what you're supposed to do. And I would shit an egg in things and it would work and I would laugh every single time. But that's the <laughs> lesson, I guess, for this game is if you don't know what to do, shit an egg in it. So, shit an egg. I mean, um, it's, it's kind of needless. I mean, it's, you've already got a move where Kazooie can shoot an egg out of her mouth or whatever forward. But then you've also got a move that you can shit an egg, you know, out of her ass or whatever it is. Whatever happens, I don't know. And you turn around and the egg flops out. So it just seems completely needless to have two different things that do essentially the same exact thing. You know, an egg goes forward into something. Uh, It it seems like that would have just made just focus on the thing where you can shoot the egg uh, that solves many other puzzles Instead of just this thing that that plops out an egg behind you and and kind of bounces you know, just slowly forward, it it never made any sense to even as a kid. I was like, this is dumb. Like, why do you have to fucking do this when I can just shoot an egg, which doesn't work? You can shoot an, uh, an egg at that bucket and nothing will ever ever happen. But if you shit an egg on it, there you go. That puzzle solved. Well, and the other the other thing, like I said, that Treasure Trove Cove uh, will introduce you to is swimming. And swimming in this game is not as fluid as it you know it's not like you're just underwater and so you move a little bit slower like mario and you can't uh you you have an air um meter that comes up you can only last so long underwater until you come up for air um but also your your character you have two ways to propel yourself through the water uh one is uh that the bird will flap its arms behind you and that does kind of like short uh, or long bursts of straight movement you don't have a lot of control over where you're headed other than just straight but you'll go a lot faster or you can hold down uh one of the other buttons and your bear will kick his feet which gives you some much more control but you're incredibly slow uh and you kind of use a combination of those two moves to go through the water i found it not just because of the camera which is always a problem in a 3d game uh, especially early 3d games but just it was hard for me to really pinpoint with accuracy if i had to aim for like a floating thing in the water, unless it was directly in front of me when I landed in the water. It was very hard for me to kind of get to it half the time. I had to circle around, and when you have an air meter, that becomes very, very frustrating. Um, but thankfully in that world, again, the, the water's kind of there as a, a hazard, not really somewhere you're supposed to go unless you're trying to collect all the, the collectibles in the game. The next world that you unlock, though, if you haven't learned how to swim very well, you're going to learn quick. It's Clanker's Cavern, an underwater kind of shark, a metal shark container uh, that you have to go into yeah. and, and, you know, free the shark somewhat. And, and then you go into this giant metal shark uh, to get some of the puzzle pieces. I'm going to be honest, I completely missed this world until I was almost finished with the game. 
Well, I'm going to tell I, you, you, yeah. didn't, you didn't miss much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this was, uh, you know, this game, it, it's a nice looking game. It's a lot of fun. It made me laugh, but damn, it frustrated the shit out of me sometimes. You know, it's, it's a lot like having a, I think everyone who, who has held employment has had that coworker who doesn't do their job quite right. Uh, and, and causes you to have to do a lot of extra work and it's very frustrating, but they're just so damn nice. That, that you can't say anything and you just put up with them. And I think that's what I did for the most part with some of the troubles this game has. And we're going to talk about this camera. And we're <laughs> going to talk about it now. Because uh, Mario 64 laid the groundwork for how you do a camera. Uh, I still think to this day, games have a hard time uh, doing it as well as that game did. You can't look up. You can't look up with the camera. You know, I first discovered this at the beginning, as soon as I get into the hub world, there's a there's that painting of, of Gruntilda there. I was like, all right, let's have a look at this painting. And I, I try to look up. You can't look up. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. Uh, oh, this camera. It's one of the worst cameras I've encountered. Uh, and it's a shame it's attached to, to such a good game. It doesn't ruin the game. But uh, they could do better. They know better than this. But Mario 64 has been out. Just copy it. There ain't no shame in it. I mean, there was... They've done their best to copy Super Mario 64, and I think they they succeeded, but they made a game that was a little bit more than what was capable with the, those, those Mario 64 camera controls. Yeah. The reason why Mario 64 camera controls worked was because the game was designed around that camera. And it seems like instead of that, in Banjo-Kazooie... They um, they just kind of thought maybe the camera would would hold out. You know, they they kind of did what they wanted to do, and they just hoped hoped that that camera would be serviceable. And you for know, the I most can... part, I mean, it does. But there are certain parts in this game where this camera completely fails, and and one of them is in this level. Uh, I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It's the chain where you have to go down into this... Um, you're, you're trying to get a jiggy that's down there to free this giant metal fish, Clanker. And you have to swim down there and swim around this this giant chain that's attached the fish to the bottom of the uh, this place that it's in. And you have to do this without dying or, or running out of time. It's almost impossible because that camera is dog shit you cannot see where you're going you cannot see what you're no matter what how many times you press that fucking button to change that camera view you cannot see what you're doing so you're just kind of going through it blind to to figure it out and you have to do it so perfectly because if you even if you kind of fuck up and do it you're still going to run out of air before you get back up to the top where clanker is so you, you have to be 
perfect to do this. And that camera will not allow you to do that. And that was one of the first moments. That's one of the early moments where I, I, I remember I just would stop and I was like, oh, it's going to be like this from time to time. Uh, as good as this game is, it's going to have. And there are other moments like that. I mean, that's early in the game, and I think it's one of the more frustrating things just because of how demanding it is and you're working against the you know, the limitations of the, the swimming on there and the camera. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, the camera fails you a lot of times over, and I blame that for part of the reason I had such a hard time traversing through the hub world. Is that camera? It, it is kind of it fixed. It's not a fixed camera, but it's a semi-fixed camera. The camera is looking at what it wants you to look at, and if you want to move it, there's a lot of kind of maneuvering around you have to do with your character as well as the the you know the stick for the camera. And I was very surprised they did not. Fi- in case you're going to pick this up and play it on the the rare replay, they did not fix that. I, I figured that would have been something that you know they would have given a little of attention to well instead there's a button you can push to to zoom in for your character's eyes so you can see out of their eyes yeah. and then you can rotate yeah but, but you got to stop moving right well it's it definitely makes it so it's almost like you're pausing the game even though everything else around you has not paused so you don't want to do it in the middle of an action sequence but generally yes it in that there's definitely small rooms uh there's a room later on that's like a you go into a little beehive and that's one where the, the camera basically doesn't move it, it points one direction and then you have to, to, to switch to your front view to see anything else in the room. And if you don't, you're going to miss things. Uh, and that, that, that's something that you know a lot of games that are 3D had fixed by this point. And it, this game did not. Uh, it, was, it was different to get used to it. But at least they had the option to do that. There was no point where if I couldn't look you know, through, the, through the regular camera, I couldn't switch to the, the, the first-person mode and actually still see what was going on. But yes, it was not the best solution, but at least it was something. After Clanker's Cavern, which is the swimming level, uh, which also teaches you how to be invincible with golden feathers, uh, which is a less useful move than you'd think. Um, you go through the swamp. I don't know if there's anything super notable about the swamp. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. It's just a good swamp level. You're not really supposed to touch the ground. You learn how to use the boots that let you you run through uh, fire or anything else that's kind of negative. You can find the right boots. Uh, the first level I had any real issues with was the next world, which is the ice world. Uh, much like every game, the ice world is hard, but this one, at least it's not because you're sliding around everywhere. Um, the, the Frazizi peak, um, <clears throat> this was a good level cause it has a lot of different, different things you would do to earn the, the, um, jigsaw puzzle pieces that were way different, but it's also the first world where, again, I don't know. If I would have ever figured out how to find some of this stuff without looking it up online, um, there's there's a part of the game or part of this level where you you see a little Christmas tree in the corner of the map. It's not little, but it's it's bigger than you are, but it's not massive. It's not like it's a Christmas tree that looks like you should walk into it by any means. And yet, in order to find one of the puzzle pieces, you need to climb up to the top of this tree after doing <laughs> a series of other things. You know, I did the other things you're supposed to do. I figured out what the other pieces of the of the, the, the puzzle to do were, and I could not figure out where that was. And eventually I just got frustrated and, like, ran at the tree. And all of a sudden I warped into the tree, and you're like, it's like if you open a door into a shed and all of a sudden you're in a mansion. That's what this does. And it didn't make any sense to me at the time because it didn't look like there was anything you could actually walk into. You just kind of jump into a pot, and you're in a full tree. That that was the first time I, I was like, okay, I'm, I've clearly got... I'm missing things because I'm not thinking dumb enough, I guess. Well, it's weird because, I mean, before that, the game has already conditioned you to think that 
if it's a small area, then you need to be, uh, you need to change into that animal or, or insect or something like that. And that one is just totally like, well, no, just, just jump into this Christmas tree and, and we'll, you'll shrink down and you'll be magically small enough to climb inside the Christmas tree all the way up to the top. So that one was kind of weird. And I actually did that myself. I, for, I forgot what I did as a kid. And I was just like, well, what am I supposed to do here? I failed the, you know, I, I did the thing that I needed to do uh, before you jump into the Christmas tree to climb up to the top. What, what am I doing wrong? And I, I just totally forgot. You just need to jump right in that fucking thing. And it even makes it more confusing since there is one of those, uh, those change uh, areas in that stage. So I was just, at first I was thinking like, Oh, I just need to wait until I can do this and, and then jump into this Christmas tree. No, you just got to jump in that fucking thing. I mean, it's the game's rules aren't always consistent with itself. And that's one of the worst things about it. Well, that, that one also has, and this is almost like the, uh, the clankers, uh, chain complaint you had where you have to do it almost perfectly. Cause you run out of time. Yeah. This level has the races. Uh, there's two races oh. you have to do um, <laughs> with with a, a against a, a walrus, I think he is, or a, or a seal or something. And he makes first time. I actually think it was that bad. You have to turn into uh, a little walrus at the the mumbo station, and then you'll go race him. That one I didn't find too bad. I thought that was okay. But later on, this is the only time in the game you have to go forward to then come back to do this puzzle. Uh, but you, after you go to the next area, which is the uh, Gobi's Valley Desert area, you learn how to use the speed shoes. And you come back here, and you'll race him the second time as the bear with the speed shoes. Yeah. And that's one where it's literally, if you make one mistake, no matter how how minute the mistake is, if you fall behind because you, you let up on the controller for a second or just try to figure out what you're doing with this terrible camera and, and the fact that you don't have the best of controls while, that you can see uh, if you go over the side of a mountain or the you know around a corner to see where these gates are, it becomes trial and error. It becomes that your only way you're going to get through this is to memorize exactly where to go at this point, uh, and you have to do it in a perfect run. And that was one of the puzzle pieces I waited until, or the jiggies, that I waited until I was almost finished with the game to go back and do that second race. It was incredibly frustrating. I could have done without this altogether. This, oh, you know, this was one of the other. This is probably, I didn't make it to the conclusion of this game. I am, I am, when next time I get on to play, and I am going to finish it up, next time I get on, I'll be there, you know, pretty much for the, the final battle on there. This was probably the absolute most frustrating thing in this game. And, and to go back yet again. Mario 64, you raced that damn penguin. And, and that was enjoyable, uh, and it was forgiving. You know, you could, you could let that penguin get ahead of you. You could hit a wall. You could still pull it out. And there were a couple of shortcuts you could take. You know, and you come back later on, that, that penguin, you know, he's, he's a fat ass now. He's put on about 300 pounds. You race him again, and he's a lot quicker, and, you know, it's a lot more demanding. Uh, you, can't, you can make maybe one mistake. But you can make a mistake. That this is just it, it demands it demands perfection from you, but it just gives you the worst set of tools to work with as far as once again that camera. The deck is stacked against you.
if you didn't get that far, so you you finish, you got that far, but you didn't get through the whole game. So you get through Freezy Peak, which is the snow level, and there's the desert level, Gobi's Valley. I don't think there was anything too too hard in that area. Uh, if anyone no. disagrees, you can speak up. But I think that was a pretty easy area. Uh, Mad Monster Mansion, loved that area. It's a oh, you know yeah. a graveyard, and everything on it was pretty straightforward. Although that was one of the areas where I didn't know you could break the windows out. Uh, in the house, because why would you think you could do that? It just looks like a, <laughs> a, a window, and some windows are boarded up and some aren't. And it turns out any window that's not boarded up, that has the lights on, you can break it out. I found that out by mistake, uh, just getting a, getting frustrated and just jumping at a window and breaking it. And then I thought, oh, okay, well, at least I figured this out kind of by accident, but still very frustrating. But I, I did love the level. I thought it was a good level. Did you get to play at all Rusty Bucket Bay, Billy? Yes. And, Myself? And <laughs> That is usually where I stop playing Banjo Kazooie. I made it to Rusty. <laughs> I am, I am in Rusty Bucket Bay, and uh, yeah, that this game, it takes a turn. You could have ended it right before this one, and I would have high praise. Even with the complaints, I would have high praise. This game, it just turns into a jerk eventually. It just, it, it turns assy on you. Yeah, all of a sudden. Rusty Bucket Bay is assy. That's a good way to put it. It's, it is the. It takes all the things you've learned and then it kind of makes it worse in every possible way. So first off, the water in the level, which is all around the the boat, you're in a, a, like a boat yard with one big boat in it, and and most of the jiggies are somehow tied to this boat. But the water that surrounds the boat, that also has things in it you need to swim in and under, does. It speeds up twice your um, your your air meter, but also because it's oily sludge or whatever, even if your head's above water, you'll still be drowning just at a slower rate than you would be if you were underwater. So if you accidentally fall in the water or if you intentionally are in the water, you better know exactly where you're going as, as fast as you need to get there or you're going to run out of air and die. And since half this game is exploration, that's incredibly assy. Uh, and there were things that were under the water that you needed to find that I don't know how you'd see. I mean, we're, we all played this, I think, on the uh, either the Rare Replay or I'm playing it on the Xbox HD re-release. But on the N64, I don't know if the, the definition would have been strong enough for me to even see some of that stuff underneath the sludge that I'd need to find. Um, th- there's an area of the level where if you fall in, there is a shark, but he's only in a small area, so that's another thing you have to worry about while you're trying not to die and drown to, to dodge the shark that does damage to you. Um, but it also has at least, I'm trying to think if there was three. Yeah, three. There are three different jiggies you have to find by doing time-sensitive tasks that are almost require perfection. Like you'll, yeah. you'll set a switch off, and then you better be on your way. And, and you have to deal with the fact they're, they all have different reasons that make them difficult. So there's one that you have to push a button and then climb on this... Um, like, not scaffolding, um, like a, a crane. You've climbed to the top of the crane, climb across the train, the crane, and jump down onto the deck of the ship and roll underneath this cage that's been lifted up to get a jiggy. Um, but the camera on that one is the first time that I honestly was like, I'm never going to get through this because the camera is unbearable. You get to the top of the, the crane, and you're trying to run over, and it's on a small little little area so you have to make sure you're not running off the side of the crane and the camera just kept basically like flipping out on me and like spinning at the wrong time and i'd be running in a straight line and all of a sudden i just run kind of in a circle off the side of it over and over again completely frustrating um but the worst one and this was the last jiggy i earned before i like right before i decided to actually finish the the end of the game there's inside the ship 
there are a series of buttons you have to push. And to get to those buttons, you have to jump over these spinning, not jump over, but walk across these spinning, um, like, crankshafts. And, and they spin. They stop spinning just longer after you get halfway across before they start up again. So you have to be halfway across and jump at the right moment to get to the other side of the platform that's not moving, or else it pushes you off into stuff that immediately kills you. So it's not even like you get a chance to swim back to a ladder and try again. No, you die, and then you go back to the beginning of the level, and you have to redo a bunch of little steps to get to where you're going in there to push the buttons. So you finally push the two buttons you need to push underneath the ship, and then all of a sudden it comes up with a like a 45 second clock and you have to get, get back out of the ship run through all these crankshafts again thankfully they've stopped moving but there's still narrow pathways that you have to deal with with a bad camera or die instantly and then get all the way to the front of the ship and then deal with the fact that you have to use these terrible swimming controls to swim around underneath the ship to where the propellers are to get this puzzle piece before the the propellers start spinning again because the buttons that's what the button stopped was these propellers infuriating i've never come closer in the last i mean since since i've been an adult to actually breaking a console than i was doing this one jiggy i must have tried it 20 times before i just decided i wasn't going to do this ever again and i'm not going to do it till it's the last piece of the game and that's only if i have time otherwise i'm just going to say i did it and move on did you try shitting an egg on it (laughs) i did i did but it's underwater you can't shit eggs underwater that would be ridiculous right so you can't do that but yeah, no, that was that's the hands down. I mean, of all now that I've gotten all of the the jiggies and did everything in the game, that is the worst section of the game was was Rusty Bucket Bay because there are so many time sensitive and control sensitive sections where the game just tries a little more than it can handle. I think that like I said that's the stage where I generally stop playing Banjo-Kazooie because as a kid I beat this game and uh you know i i loved it because you know it was it was great at the time but when you're replaying banjo kazooie you really once you hit rusty bucket bay that's the thing where it just becomes this perfect storm of everything that's wrong with this game uh the the weird kind of uh the nonsensical puzzles the uh the the countdown timers for some of the stuff and the terrible camera combined with a stage that just it looks awful it is one of the worst looking stages in a 3d platformer (laughs) i've ever seen it it just all comes together to to give you this sense of well i don't think i need to play banjo kazooie any further than this and it works i mean that's every single time i come back to banjo kazooie no matter how much fun i'm having going through all of these levels and up to this point for me i love banjo kazooie i can get through all of that shit we have talked about and complained about and love it. I don't care. You know, it's just something that's, that's part of the game for me. It's, it's of its time. I can deal with it, but rusty bucket Bay is, it's hard to just get by that. It's, you were really putting yourself through something, something special to, to continue on with Banjo Kazooie. And unfortunately, Generally, I, I really can't say it gets much better from that. Thank you.
Thankfully, after Rusty Bucket Bay, there's only one more actual uh, world, which is the Click Clock Wood, which I actually thought was interesting. It's it's kind of a the same map four times for the different seasons. You start out and only spring is unlocked. Well, you unlock spring from the main room, and then you go into the spring section, find a button that will on, open the summer section. Then you go to the summer section, and what makes it interesting is if you've done certain things in the spring section... For example, uh, inexplicably, if you shit an egg into a hole in a field, a plant will grow. Uh, that, that's another way, place where if you shit an egg for no reason, uh, that's the answer to the puzzle. But yeah, you, 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 you shit an egg into this field and a big tree, you know, a big plant grows. And if you come back in these in the summer, the plant is much bigger and you have to find a way to water it. And if you do that in the, in the, the summer, when you go to the fall, it's much bigger. And if you water it again, it actually gives you a puzzle piece. And then by the time you go to the winter level, it's, it's dead on the ground. But it's a neat... I like that there are things you have to do in the earlier seasons that affect the later seasons. I thought that was very interesting. That said, it was also incredibly frustrating to try to figure out how to earn all the jiggies and find all the notes. Because there were some things that, again, it, once you know the answer, it seems kind of obvious, but... Uh, at the time, there's a lot of things that are, are either time-sensitive or just they make it so if you don't know exactly what to do, you will either run out of air if you're swimming or you won't know how to get to the, the platform you need to get to or you, you'll, you'll do the right thing, but you're one season early and for no reason it doesn't work in the summer. It only works in the fall, but it, it doesn't make sense season-wise and the, the same person's there any time of the year. So it, it definitely was an interesting mechanic. I did love the time change mechanic. Uh, I just, again, think it was not as polished as it needs to be. But that said, I, I think that, that even with the complaints I've had about the levels... Um, all the worlds are, at least for one playthrough, well worth playing. Um, yeah, and on a second playthrough, I think by the time I got to um, the Rusty Bucket Bay area, maybe I would make the same decision Jeremy did and say, you know, I've, I've experienced what I need to experience for Banjo-Kazooie. But for one playthrough, even though it was frustrating and I hated the time-sensitive uh, pieces of it, I still wanted to beat it. I still was enjoying it. I kept trying it. Once I did, I felt like I accomplished something. I, 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 there's not many games that I feel like that about every, every kind of minor task, but this really does does feel like you're accomplishing something every time you earn one of those quest jiggies. I think. I mean, we've talked a lot of shit about Banjo Kazooie, but I, I still it, it is a genuinely awesome Mario sixty four style game. It is just a great three D platformer, and if you can get by those the control issues and the camera issues. I think you, you'll have a great time with this game. It's still really fun. But the one thing I really want to know, and this is kind of something that everyone has experienced that has beat Banjo 64 is, uh, and, and this is kind of, I, I want to ask Jeremy P himself. Let me, you, you tell me about what you thought about that last boss fight. I'm going to say the ending of the game is, it went from where I was actually really happy with the ending of the game. Because before you get to what I believe you're referring to, which is the last actual boss fight, when you finish yes. the levels and you get to the end, in order to save your sister, you go through Grunty's Furnace Fun, which is like a board game. 
And yeah. every square you stop on, you either answer a question about a game, you know, a character you've met in the game, or it plays a bit of music, and it's like, what world is this from? Or it has a couple that are that are action challenges that I absolutely hated. But everything else in that puzzle, like that that board game piece, even when I was losing, I was enjoying it. Like I thought that was actually yeah. really interesting. It made it so. You know, did you pay attention to the name of the squirrel you fed in that last level? And you're like, no, I didn't. I just knew it was the squirrel that wanted those nuts. Well, he has a name, and he told you his name. And you better have paid attention, because it's going to ask you that now. And that's also where all those facts about Gruntilda come up that her sister gave you. So it'll say, you know, she'll say, oh, uh, what's my favorite color? And it'll list, you know, dung brown, uh, sickly yellow, sad green, or whatever it is. And you have to know the right color, or you lose a life point. Or, in some cases, immediately go to your death and start the whole puzzle over. I thought that was a great. I thought that was the ending to the game because I didn't do. I didn't want to look ahead of time to see online what the end of the game was. So I got through the whole puzzle, and you know, she gives you your sister back, and then it shows you some credits. And I was like, "Well, that was cool. That's great. I finished the game, you know." But I didn't have at that point all the the jiggies, so I knew I was missing something. So I went back and found the jiggies, and then I realized that there was another. You know, when I got to that that area again, instead of going to do the puzzle because it doesn't make you do it again you've already completed it you now can go and run around through the area at the end of that board game section and that's when i realized oh there's another section of this game i didn't really finish it yet there's a final boss fight and it is um i don't want to say it's bad because i think it does take all the things you've used and makes you do them again in a very condensed format to to beat gruntilda at a at a final fight uh it's five phases the first phase is, is essentially just learning how to dodge and then and using the things you would have learned in the first level. Uh, the, the second phase is Gruntilda is, is uh, firing eggs at you, and you have to fire eggs back at her. That, that one wasn't so bad. The third section of the five, you have to fly around and, and kind of hit her while she flies around. And the flying controls in the game, while they're very good for getting you to, to areas you haven't been, and they do feel like... If you don't know how to fly, you know, as a bear, that this would be really cool, but it's not incredibly, uh, incredibly easy to control. Well, actually, trying to hit a moving target while you're flying is awful, awful. And that's the section of the lost boss fight where, even though it wasn't hard, I wouldn't take a lot of damage. I might run out of, fla- of feathers over and over and over and over again, and then have to restart the area because I ran out of feathers and fell to my death, over and over and over again. And then after you managed to hit her a bunch of times she's flying is what should be two easy sections where you just fire eggs into some statues but instead she's throwing fireballs at a, at a pace you can't dodge that part was awful and i don't know if it's just that i'm not good at dodging these fireballs but even on the playthrough i looked at online to make sure i wasn't just dumb and couldn't figure this out it looked like the, the strategy is just soak up as much damage as you can and hopefully get enough eggs shot in before you die am i missing something there no, I, I, that's it. I mean, you just have to fucking be real. It's kind of a combination of luck and and just hoping you you know getting through using the skills that you've learned. And I think overall, it's it's a if if that game would have ended like for real at that board game, I think it would just be so much better. But the fact that they added in that battle with after you've collected all the jiggies, I think it's a complete failure uh, of just summing up that game because i think donkey kong 64 did it much better with its final boss battle you have all of the kongs facing off against uh i forget his name king cruel or something and each one has to do a very specific part of that game or a very specific part of that battle 
And it, that is exactly what should have probably been. I, I think that's maybe what they learned from this game on up until to Donkey Kong 64. Because yeah, you're basically doing the same thing with this one. You're using all of the different uh, abilities that you've learned to fight Gruntilda. And you were just... It's just not done well, I guess. And those are the, the two you mentioned are the the worst offenders of the bunch. And it really just kind of comes down to feeling like luck whenever you do eventually beat that game. And it's uh, even as a kid, I was just like, oh, my God, just let this end. I just want to beat this game. I spent far too much time finding all of these stupid jiggies. I just want this to end at this point and to have it play out like it does with with those two sections the flying section especially for me it took me goddamn hours to finish that one as a kid you know i just uh it it doesn't seem like it was designed very well well it's a game that doesn't have bosses and then all of a sudden you have a super boss like there's no bosses in the levels generally i mean there are some fights you have to have uh there's a crate you fight in that in that rusty bucket bay or whatever but that's still not really that bad this is this feels like a boss fight, and it feels like one that you have to be extremely precise in, in a game that does not allow because of the camera and also because of the, the 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 weapons at your disposal is not a precise fighter in any means. You know, it, you you can't fly precisely, you can't shoot eggs very precisely. Even if you can shoot them in a straight line, you can't line that camera up fast enough. And meanwhile, while you're trying to do that, they're throwing fireballs at you at a level that you can't possibly dodge and do these other things. Everything takes too much time. Uh, to make this as fast as it needs to be. But, you know, th- that said, it, I did it, and I'm glad I did it, and I felt really good when it was done um, because I did finish the game, and I felt like, as annoying as that was, at no point did I feel like it was not possible. It just felt like I wasn't tight enough on the controls. And the time, there were a lot of times I died to cheapness, but I still felt like I had all the things I needed to do to finish this end boss. You know, I didn't have to go out and grind for anything. There wasn't a, a move I missed or anything else. I just needed to get better. And and I like that. So it was a, an annoying end, and I'll never, ever do it again. But I do feel good <laughs> that I did it. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have felt as good not beating Gruntilda and saying I finished the game. Even though I did, saw the levels, I got all the jiggies, I, got, I collected everything. If I wouldn't have beaten her at the end, I would not have beaten the game. So I'm glad I did that. That said, it was probably not the best boss fight. It wasn't, and I just, you know, I, I feel like a lot of us are we're, we're being very negative on the game and everything because, you know, we're trying to play this now in current day. And a lot of the things we're complaining about, they weren't really complaints we could have had back when we were kids. And I, I remember as a kid just, you know, I this, this was just, it was such an amazing game. It was so much fun all the way through. I, I loved finding all of the different, you know, the ways that you could find the jiggies, even though some of them were, were overly obtuse and, and not, you just, you wouldn't have been able to figure them out if you didn't find some strategy guide or something at the grocery store magazine rack or something. But it was still really fun. And I, I loved the game all the way through, minus the, the parts that 
that were just kind of overly, you know, they're fucked up now by far. The, the camera and everything just doesn't hold up. Anybody that wants to play Banjo-Kazooie now, there there's definitely parts that just doesn't work. Um, but back then, if you played Banjo-Kazooie and you, and you loved it, you know, I, I can understand why there's so many people that genuinely think that this, this game is actually better than Mario 64. Personally, that's not me. But I, I still love this game. I love playing uh, up to a point where the game just kind of maybe gets in the way of itself uh, with the camera and the mechanics that it throws out at you. Uh, and it's still really fun. But I, I don't know. Uh, there's just there's just a lot of problems with it now that that really kind of prevents it from from being as enjoyable as it was when I was a kid. Yeah, and if I would have if I would have stuck it out and would have actually you know rented this one or, or purchased it as a kid, I really would have enjoyed this game. And I uh, at, even at the time as a kid, I probably the complaints I had, I wouldn't look back and say, oh, you know, Mario sixty four did this better because I, I didn't look as far in depth in things back then. I was more focused on having fun, which you know, unfortunately, is hard to reproduce that that kind of way of thinking nowadays uh when you're trying to hurry through a game you know when you don't have all day after school to play or or something like that uh but and yeah i think we've mostly had negative to say but i I can't take away from the fact that this is uh I, i mean at heart it's a really great game it's a lot of fun and it's a it's it's one of those games that it's attempts at humor uh if it's your type of humor uh they really hit the nail on the head with, for me, uh, and I thought it was a very funny game, uh, very well written. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just uh, it's a good game, and we don't have those th- that often, so uh, <laughs> we have to we have to appreciate it when we do. Uh, Twenty five episodes, I think uh, this may be one of the, and I'm going out on a limb here. Uh, I'm going to assume this is one of the few times we all. Can can pretty strongly agree that we have played a very frustrating at times and, and pretty cheap on occasion, but a, a pretty good game. I think it's a great game. I have to say, I mean, we t- I, I complained about the things I didn't like about each level, but that was kind of to refine what I, you know, where the issues were compared to what you know if it was have been a quote perfect game. Mm-hmm. But in, in general, I, I mean, I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's a very pretty game even now. Um, I mean, it's you know, it's not going to compare it to Uncharted Four or, or something that's brand new, that's 3D, that's you know, a much stronger system. But a lot of games from the early 3D era do not hold up. You know, we talked about yeah. that with PlayStation previously. I mean, we play Jumping Flash; it moves really well, but it's a hideous game. This isn't hideous. It looks very nice. I mean, it's very clear yeah. most of the time what you need to do and where you need to go as far as to to get through the level. There's nothing that there were only a few times like that one cave where I couldn't figure out what to do. But everything else, it. it the the graphics still hold up fine and the camera as bad as we made it sound there were only a couple times where it was honestly that bad i think we're just spoiled by current cameras but for the time this would have been a more than acceptable camera for 3d games i mean mario 64 would probably be one of the best cameras for that that style of game but you know i played blasto this is way better of a camera than half the, <laughs> the playstation era 3d games you know it's no bubsy 3d but it's it's pretty good but uh, but no, I thought this was an excellent game. It it it, it has some faults, but uh, I can't say. I mean, you know, I had not played it before, so I did play it in 2016, and I was interested in finishing it. At no point did I feel like I was only playing it for this podcast. I would have played this regardless, and I would have enjoyed it. 
So this game uh, did well enough that clearly that, that not only is it considered a classic, but it had a sequel on the N64 called Banjo-Tooie, which I think is more of the same, correct? Yeah, it's it's generally more the same, but it it kind of there a lot of fans really don't like it as much as the original Banjo because it just kind of went overboard with the the collectibles. The stages were much much kind of, they were larger, but they weren't. There were a lot of um, extremely large stages like they were in, in in this game, but a lot of it was sectioned off to very specific types of gameplay. Like you would get to a stage and you'd have to go to one section that kind of turned into a first person shooter or or another part of the stage would turn into, um, you know, you'd have to fly around. And it wasn't that you were flying around a, a giant stage all on its own. It was just that these parts were sectioned off into their own specific stages. And a lot of people didn't like that. I didn't like that myself. And if you thought the hub world in Banjo-Kazooie was uh, was hard to get around, then Banjo-Tooie will rock your world because that fucking thing is a goddamn mess. Um, overall, to me, I didn't enjoy Banjo-Tooie anywhere near as much as as the first Banjo-Kazooie. So I know there's a lot of people out there that really love Banjo-Tooie, but for me, it just seemed like it, it got, it, it was trying to do a bit too much for what it was doing, and I, I never actually finished that game. Well, then after that, there's, I think there's a Game Boy port a few other little games that were tied uh, tied to the series, but not main series games. And then not until the uh, Xbox 360 in 2008 put out Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, which Holy actually, shit. that was the first Banjo-Kazooie <laughs> game I'd ever played. I had never played a Banjo-Kazooie game before other than just to see what it was. And I got a copy of, of uh, Nuts and Bolts for free for something or other. And I, I, made, you know, I did play that to the end. I didn't hate it, but it definitely... Uh, it's a weird game compared to this. I don't know exactly what they were aiming at. Uh, it, there are parts of it that play very much like Banjo Kazooie, but but generally most of that game is is kind of like if you combine Banjo Kazooie and and Legos. Like you're okay, supposed I've, to build ships and boats and cars to race through levels. It's weird. I've never had a game just beat my ass like that game. Oh, Jeremy and I got into I think. A mini competition of sorts. I think we started playing around the same time, and just to see who could get the most jiggies in that. And it was a competition, and I don't think anybody won. I think we both just just played so hard and focused on getting those jiggies so much that I think we stopped having fun. And you know, and we both beat it, and I think we just kind of fizzled out. Every now and then, I will uh, I will text him. And mention, hey, we need to get on there, and <laughs> get all those jiggies. I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. You know, I, we'll never review this game because you know it's it's much too old or much too new, rather. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I've just uh, a pro tip is just make a flat vehicle and put every engine on it, <laughs> and and there you go. It was definitely a pretty game, though. I'll give it that. It, it did take the look of what what the Banjo-Kazooie worlds looked like and then, you know, really refine them for HD with, with the Xbox 360. But, yeah, the actual mechanics of the game when you, when you were just building ships and cars, totally different than this game. Uh, I did finish that. I did enjoy it. But it's kind of more of a weird offshoot, even though it's apparently one of the main games in the series. Uh, but then that's been it. There's been nothing else for Banjo-Kazooie. It was re-released on the uh, Rare Replay Collection. Uh, earlier this year or late last year, I don't remember when it came out. 
Uh, but you guys have played it on that. The rest of that collection is pretty good. So I don't know if there are other Banjo-Kazooie games uh, in the series directly. But there is a spiritual successor that's come out. Uh, some of the people from Rare Left started their own company. And they're putting out a game that looks almost identical. But instead of a bear, you're some sort of lizard, I think, uh, with another like bat on your back. And that's called Ukulele. And that's uh, supposed to be out later this year. But looking at, at screenshots of it, and I watched a little video, it looks exactly like this. I mean, not not slightly like Banjo-Kazooie, but exactly like Banjo-Kazooie. And I think that's actually probably a really good thing. So I don't know if anyone else looked into that at all, but at least it's it's good to see that something else is coming from essentially the series. Yeah, and a lot of people really seem to... Uh, to uh, the Kickstarter itself got a ton of support. You know, it was funded within like a day or so, and... Uh, I think a lot of people just really want some of those uh, simple 3D platformers back. You know, the idea of that uh, that style of game has really been lost on on a lot of the stuff that comes out now. And even like uh, the the Ratchet and Clank remake that came out for the PlayStation Four last month, you know, it sold amazingly well. It sold better than than I think even up to the original PlayStation Two releases when it first came out back then. And that's kind of unheard of. And I, I just think there's a lot of people that, that want that simple style of 3D platformer to come back. And, and you, know, you just don't get that kind of game anymore. So ukulele seems like a, a return to what you know, we loved with Banjo-Kazooie. And I can't wait to play it. Yeah, as, as long as I can look up. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it'll be hard to imagine that they'll make a new game where you can't look up. But if so, I'll still give it a shot. And it also means that after 25 episodes, this might be the first time we've all agreed. Nah, that's not true. But one of the first times in lately that we've all agreed a great game and one that people should definitely try. I think it holds up well even now. Uh, but but definitely deserves the classic title that I give every game. Yeah, Banjo Kazooie's an all time classic. You know, it's it's a I think it's a, a legitimate 3D platformer that that it, it holds up. You know, for the most part. I mean, we can't. We can bitch about the camera all we want and everything, but you couldn't do a camera any better back then. I mean, you could make it better now, but they really haven't. So what you get is, you know, what you see is what you get. And Banjo-Kazooie is that game, and I still think it's a great game to this day. Yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with this. Even with the, even with the issues, and especially if you go in... Uh, knowing ahead of time, you know there there are limitations just because of of the time it was put out. Uh, but there's plenty to enjoy here. There is a, an, a troubles aside. There is an excellent game waiting for you if if you pick this one up to play. So those were our thoughts on Banjo Kazooie for the Nintendo sixty four. Next episode, our twenty sixth episode, we're going to go to the PlayStation for Fighting Force. Uh, a game completely different from this, a uh, different style altogether, a brawler we haven't done in a while. Looking forward to that. But do we have any listener mail for our 25th episode extravaganza? We do. We actually have a few. And the uh, the first two are kind of keeping in line with the uh, the type of game that we picked for our next episode. Um, Trent2001 writes in to ask, why do you guys pick games you generally hate? Bayou Billy comes to mind, and more recently, Ghoul Patrol was chosen even though it was already known that Jeremy didn't like the game. So why not focus on games you enjoy rather than the ones you hate? And then we also get a question in from uh, an unnamed emailer uh, that kind of goes along with it that uh, asks, what exactly is your criteria for selecting games? Since most of what 
we cover is fairly obscure at times. I'll uh, I'll start. I think. Uh, well, really, I think we don't, as a, a group, pick games that we that we know we we hate. Uh, we all have kind of had input. And we've all you know kind of had our individual picks, and it just so happens that uh, each. I think each one of us is guilty. We we lobby for games that we, for some reason, a, as an individual, absolutely love, but the. Uh, the group just doesn't seem to to latch on to uh, my my venerable mansion of hidden souls, uh, general <laughs> chaos, anything Jeremy P picked. Come on, uh, it's, it, it's games that it's games that one of us loved, and we really want to go back and look at it and see if it still holds up, and, and we just want the uh, to see what other people or each other thinks of it. I, I don't think we. Uh, Maybe there's just one or two times going into an episode, all three of us knew, surely this game was going to be awful. By you, Billy, Jeremy P. was genuinely excited for. I, I think we shuffled things around to fit in by you, Billy. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think we're, and I don't think we're hopeful that it's necessarily going to be a bad game. I mean, I think many times when I presented a game, I, I was hoping that, uh, it would end like this one with uh, with praise all around, but uh, that just rarely happens. And, and and I think I like the fact that we pick. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look up, if you want to put in Super Mario Brothers three podcast, uh, you're going to get countless. I think a lot of games out there have been talked about enough to the point to where there's not really anything new to say about it there's not really any fresh perspectives to take on it after it's been talked about so much but yeah i mean there's plenty of games out there that are games that are good and bad that just don't seem to get much attention or they've kind of fallen to the wayside because they weren't a uh one of the big hits of the time and and you know for all the bad ones we go through i think it's always worth it when we we dig up a, a hidden gem and and not hidden gem used sarcastically I don't think I've picked a game intentionally that I thought would be awful. I mean, Bayou Billy was the only exception to that statement. And I didn't pick it because I thought it was bad. I but pick- you were so, ex- so excited. I look at this a couple different ways when I've picked a game. Either I pick a game that I have a great memory of that I think, is this a good game or is this just, you know, rose-colored glasses that I remember this game is so good. A great example is the Guardian Legend. Now, I still stand by that that's a good game. You guys did not enjoy this game. Um, but I, I liked it. I still I enjoyed playing it. I finally got to finish this game for the purpose of the podcast. This is the kind of game I wanted to do this podcast for. A game that you're not going to find in a lot of other gaming podcasts. It might be a, a lesser-known hit but or a lesser-known failure. It doesn't matter. But but a game that I remember that I enjoyed. Um, in the case of Biobilly, it was a game that I, I know we all played. It got a lot of press when it came out, and I remember it being really hard. And I wanted to go back now that it's it's a game that everyone has tried, everyone played. It's it's notoriously hard. Is it really a bad game, or is it that you know we weren't patient enough to get through it, or or was it just bad marketing? You know what was it that made it so everybody wanted to play it? So there was a reason for that one. Uh, not that I thought it would be bad. I was kind of hoping as I played it, I'd it would click at some point. And I think this is this why this is why this game was always pushed so well. It's such a huge game, but no, it's a terrible game. Uh, very frustrating, very poorly made brawler. But but at least we did delve into it more. You know, I enjoy going through a lot of these older games. So 
I don't normally pick games that I think are going to bomb. I just happen to like bad games, apparently. But but Ghoul Patrol, as the other one that was mentioned as an example, I think was picked because it was bad. That that was your pick, Jeremy. And I'd like to. <laughs> was your goal just to see to make us play it because you knew it would suck, or were you kind of just not sure if it was a bad game or just one you didn't like, or what? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I I, I knew I didn't like Ghoul Patrol, and you know, sometimes picking these games it. It, it can be a little bit cathartic more than more than <laughs> anything uh to to be able to to bring this one out and be like all right i hate this game what do you guys think you know and to be able to sit there and bitch about a game that i genuinely felt ripped off about as a kid because you know you're never going to get that chance again you you don't go out to friends and be like hey let me tell you how bad ghoul patrol is because they genuinely, you know, you won't have friends and you'll just be talking to yourself. But, you know, for this podcast, it's it's been nice to kind of bring those games out and, and be like, hey, you know, what did you guys think? Because even if I hated Ghoul Patrol, I would have been genuinely interested to know what, you know, if you guys like Ghoul Patrol, what why you liked it. Because, you know, I don't set out to hate a game. I, you know, if anyone loves a game and, and it's something that I don't like, I'm genuinely interested in why they like that game. You know, I'm kind of jealous. You know, why can't I enjoy this game like someone else does? And if it's something that, you know, I don't get, you know, there were definitely some of the the, uh, the podcasts like Toe Jam and Earl, you know, there were games that I just didn't get. But I love listening to other people, you know, the, Billy and, and Jeremy P say, you know, explain why they loved it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I understand that. So that's that's one reason why I kind of pick these games that, that I don't like myself. It's just because I want to see what other people think about it. And if they hate it, then I kind of feel vindicated on hating it myself. But if they like it, then I kind of want to know why they like it. So, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. We don't pick games intentionally badly. We just pick games we think are at least interesting to talk about and haven't been talked about a thousand times each. All right, we have one more question, and uh, these questions uh, obviously are kind of geared more towards um, us in the podcast. We usually pick a, a game question to answer, but uh, I figured for uh, the uh, uh, you know our year anniversary, we might, we might as well uh, pull these questions together and, and answer them while we got a chance. And Joe writes in asking, this is the only podcast I listen to where no one really talks about themselves. Over the course of the 10 or so shows I've listened to, all I really know about you guys is that Jeremy P. will never own a PS4, Billy really likes an MC Hammer Tiger Electronics game, and the other Jeremy hates everything. Don't get me wrong, it's refreshing to not have to listen to 40 minutes of something about what you guys ate for your last meal, but it would be nice to know more about the people sitting behind the microphones. So I think basically he's asking why we don't talk about ourselves more. I think, well, I mean, it's, uh, and I, I think when we first started doing this, I think one of the things we wanted to get away from, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts, video game podcasts, movie podcasts, and they all seem to have, like he, like he said in the comment, the, uh, the, the thing where you could pretty much skip the first, you know, half hour or so because people are just talking about, you know, every, mundane facet of their their day-to-day life and and i just i and maybe we're wrong i'm just speaking for myself i don't consider myself to be the most exciting person i get up in the morning i i go to work i don't 
make a lot of waves, so to speak. My Taco Bell order hadn't changed in like two years. I don't do anything <laughs> exciting to, to speak of. Um, and, I mean, if that's something people want, if they want a tidbit every now and then, uh, yeah, that's fine. But, I mean, I think you walk a, a, a fine line between providing a little more information about yourself and kind of overtaking the podcast and making it something kind of kind of boring and far removed from what the the topic actually is yeah we had discussed that at the at the start of this podcast not this podcast but when we were discussing doing this podcast we we all kind of were in agreement that we didn't want to have one of the podcasts that that and there's nothing wrong with that but you know we want to talk about old games that's why we're here talk about classic games and playing them what we think now we didn't want to necessarily talk about you know even current news that often and we've brought it up occasionally but you know, if you're going to go back and listen to old episodes of Retrovaniacs, you're not going to care what the news was, you know, eight months ago about the upcoming Metal Gear Solid Five or whatever it was. It was the news at the time. You know, that's no longer relevant. There's no point in talking about that. But also, you know, yeah, this is about old games. No one wants to hear about, you know, me going to work and not hating my, you know, not liking my job some days or oh, I, I had to get a, buy a new car. Like that's not interesting. I, I if you are interested in in what I specifically do outside of this podcast. Uh, I'm on another podcast that's pretty much exclusively about mundane garbage in my life uh, and the other hosts' lives, uh, Radio for Winners. Uh, it's, it's on, a, what, episode 170 or something now. But, yeah, that's literally a podcast about nothing. I, I enjoy it. It's fun. Uh, I think it's funny, although who knows. But uh, it's it's a lot more about my personal life than this is. But this is far more focused, and I you know I like that about this podcast. I think it's it's really important to stay structured in, in you know, what you're presenting to an audience. And I know there's a lot of people that really love those, you know, those half hour tirades of, of the random shit that happened in, in someone's week. But at the same time, this is a, you know, it's a podcast. And, and at the very beginning of this, I, I think we, uh, like we've all said, we wanted to stay fairly on point with what we're talking about. And even like the, the games we're playing, uh, you know, at the beginning of the show, it's uh, we, we try, we try to stay brief, with that, you know, we don't generally talk about it too much. Every once in a while, we will, but it's uh, it's just kind of something we want to get out and, and have that little bit of information and move on to the thing that we're actually focusing on. And I, I think it's you know, for me, growing older, maybe it's just uh, something that the the young kids enjoy these days. But for me, growing older, I want things to be, you know, brief. I, you know the. I, I want something to be to the point. I want it to be entertaining and I want it to be just accessible and not have to sit through two hours of shit to get to that point. Yeah. And, we're, we're, uh, we're not living much longer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't have time for this shit. You know, we're, we're getting on up in years. We're not ancient yet, but we have, uh, we have definitely set through our, our meandering years enough to the point where this is, um, you know, we, we don't have time to sit around and talk about our, our Taco Bell, choices so uh, yeah I, I think that's just something that we we chose by default not to do you know in the future who knows maybe we'll talk a little bit more maybe we'll just answer me tomo questions on this podcast so that you can all know exactly <laughs> you know what our favorite stupid shit is that me tomo asks us but <laughs> uh, as, as it is I, I don't think we're you know we're generally not going to sit around and, and talk too much uh, about our personal lives so to get back to the point, 
back to games. Next episode will be about Fighting Force on the PlayStation. It is available on the PlayStation Network if you're looking to play it ahead of time. Uh, but if not, just find yourself a copy of the uh, PlayStation disc and go to town. Uh, until then, please check us out on Retrovania.net. Send us an email. Uh, send us a question on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to answer them for listener questions. And thank you for listening to the last 25 episodes, which is 24 yeah, episodes uh, yeah, since I, I was I, JP. Yeah, I, before I, you know, <laughs> before we get off here, I definitely want to thank everyone for for listening to the podcast. Uh, for those of you that do, uh, for the people that subscribe to us on on the YouTube channel, uh, and and go to the site and and read all our stuff. It's you know we do this stuff for fun, and um, it, it makes it even better that anyone else would would actually enjoy this stuff. So definitely thank you for for any any sort of uh, you know what you've done to to listen to us or take in what we've done. So. It means a lot to us, and uh, I genuinely enjoy what we do. I I hope you guys do as well. Yeah, and and the same for me. I'd like to thank everybody that's that's listened so far. And we don't take joy in much these days, but we True. take joy in in communicating with you guys, whether it's over email, uh, comments on the the YouTube videos up there. And I, I'm just I'm very pleased to see it's a, it's a slow burn, but it's it's a, a growing community. Hopefully, we'll get up and running here. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm surprised by the you know the the numbers seem to be increasing. I thought it was just going to be the the three of us listening to it, and I was going to you know make my son feel real bad for me and have him listen to it every <laughs> now and then. Uh, but no, we seem to have a nice set of listeners out there, and I, I sure do appreciate it. Uh, and hope we uh, are here another twenty five. Well, at least we'll be here for twenty six for Fighting Force, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> 